0: Welcome to the era where Brad Renscher, CEO of Bamboo HR, asked the question, does putting employees first really lead to better business outcomes? We think we know the answer, but let's dig in and find out.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the next episode of the era, where we really go deep on the fundamental hypothesis that the employee experience is a key driver to business outcomes and ultimately business success. This is a conversation that's dominating C-suites and boardrooms across the world. And we're really excited today to have LJ Brock, Chief People Officer at Coinbase, join us for the conversation. LJ at Coinbase, you oversee the employee experience with a focus on hiring and total rewards, learning and development, diversity and inclusion, and workplace operations. You have a great experience focusing on the employee experience at the intersection of technology and finance, and so we're really excited to get your perspective on everything happening in the employee experience right now. So welcome, LJ, to the era. We're glad to have you.
2: Thank you, Anita. I appreciate the introduction. It's great to be here. Great to spend time with you, as always. Excited to do it.
1: Thank you. We appreciate it. Do you want to give our audience just a brief overview of Coinbase and anything, you know, so so in case they're not familiar with your platform and product?
2: Yeah, I mean, Coinbase is, you know, I think the blue chip leader in the crypto space. We are the trusted on ramp for people to move into crypto. And, you know, we have over 4,500 employees today. Operate on a global basis, and you know are I think sort of a, a, a premier opportunity from an employee experience and growth perspective in Web three and crypto, and then obviously um, a great end route for consumers to on ramp into the crypto and space in general.
1: Yeah, I love, I love what you're doing because you're not only in a newer area of technology, but it seems like Coinbase has just taken a really innovative approach to the employee experience. How have you crafted that and what do you enjoy most about it?
2: Well, I do think, you know, the, the hallmark I think of that's really interesting about Coinbase, one of the things that brought me here, one of the things I really enjoy about working um, with our executive team and with our whole company, and one thing that I try to, empower all of our team to think about is, you know, we do want to innovate our employee experience and our people programs in a way that is specifically useful and impactful for Coinbase and what we're trying to achieve. And not just because it's something we've done, seen done before elsewhere, or something that's, you know, quote unquote, considered best practice, but we really want to take more of a first principles approach to what are we trying to achieve as a company What are we trying to achieve for our consumers or our customers? And and then how do we design an employee experience that empowers our people to to drive towards those outcomes? And so what's energizing about that is the work's never done, right? We we, we constantly, as soon as we deliver a program, we're measuring its success. We're thinking about what might be the next iteration of that program. And it's the innovation and the ability that the job to make the job fresh every day that I think I find most exciting and I think most of my team finds really exciting.
1: I totally agree with you. In the conversations we've had over the years, it's been about a toolkit versus a playbook. Right, Because we both like to innovate from the start for our mission and for our users and our customers. And, but that's a different skill set. Not everyone has that and can think and generate innovative ideas versus just saying, I did this at last company X. I want to do it here at new company Y. Is there something that you've instilled in your team that helps them think more customized to Coinbase versus just going back to what they've always done?
2: Well, again, I mean, I think for us, you know, certainly as we've tried to hire people since I've been here and as we've and we've built the team we've we've really tried to s- just say that our approach here is let's think about let's understand great practices let's benchmark what others have done let's we're hiring people on the people team for the experience that they've brought obviously elsewhere but let's not just immediately default to that's the solution we're looking for i mean and i i can tell you firsthand that Almost nothing that I applied at either of my last two employers, for example, are probably directly what I would apply to the Coinbase experience. We're just a fundamentally different company and a fundamentally different stage. So I think we just try to set that mindset and that experience for the team up front. And then we try to reinforce that every day when we have dialogues about what's best for our situation. What, what is the problem that we're trying to solve and what would be the best way to solve that In a coinbase way
1: you you stating this really brings up something interesting because most most people in a people function or hr function want to say yes and want to be people pleasers and we actually i just had my team out for an offsite this week everybody came live and in person it was awesome and this is a big part of what we talked about is getting clear on the problem that we're solving versus just saying yes you are in pain we'll help you is there um anything there like that you is do you use any frameworks or tools that kind of help understand what the problem is before your team just springs into action or have you been hiring kind of a different profile that is problem and principle oriented first
2: you know i think it's a little bit of both so i do think it certainly sits with a profile perspective i will say that one of the things i've found over the last few years is I do like to build more heterogeneous teams. So you will find that our team is comprised of people who come from distinguished careers in other HR forums. And then you'll also find that our team has some people in it who came from BizOps or, or management consulting or, or the M&A team. And what I find when we merge those two sort of capabilities together uh, into a team is that we do get sort of the secret sauce that comes out of that is a team that pushes each other to look at problems more critically and just, and in a more sort of first principles, again, design oriented, how do, how do we solve, how do we find the real problem we're trying to solve approach now there's always helpful to have frameworks. And as a company, we have been very framework oriented. We have some some things that we lean on. We have a, two things in particular we focus on a lot. We have this idea of a problem proposed solution. Sounds really like um, impressive maybe or complicated, but it's really literally like problem. Write a sentence, you know, X Y Z. Proposed solution uh, are maybe one or two of the following options, and here's our recommended approach. And anybody on the in the company, and certainly anybody on our team, is empowered to see a problem. Have a proposed solution, articulate that, and and share it with the org. We also have a rapid um, decision making framework um, that we've applied. So we do have tools that we bring that we apl- that we make available for our people to sort of structurally think about how they break down problems. But I think it starts with a mindset and 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 build and hiring people with a skill set around curiosity and hiring people with a skill set around designing new programs and designing with the right end in mind and not just replicating what we've always done in the past.
1: Oh, this is so good. I love that you use the rapid framework. I'm a huge fan of having a rapid framework. How do you make sure that when you're really building for the employee experience that your team is going out and soliciting, like how do you take that into the programs that you're developing so that you know that you're impacting the employee experience that all those 4,500 team members are after?
2: So I think we're one of the things that's actually a little unique about Coinbase, maybe, or um, you know, one, one of the things that I think makes us different. One of the signals that sort of we look for in, in in helping people think about whether we're right for them and whether they're right for us is honestly a little bit less of the idea of like, oh my God, you have to go get a thousand different inputs and it has to take six months and you've got to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Um, You know, we're much more focused on speed to decision and still making a high quality decision, but doing that in a way where you're getting relevant inputs. So we expect people to get relevant inputs, sample inputs. Right. So, you know, we're not going to design a program in our in our business. We largely the way I think about our, our company is we have our product engineering and design group. And then we have our core group, which is sort of the core operations that supports the rest of the company. People ops, for example, would be part of the core group, right? We're certainly going to get inputs on any major initiative with representatives from both product engineering and design and core, but we're not going to try to like you know boil the ocean and have a hundred different people in each organization try to give us inputs and never and get to a watered either a watered down solution that's totally suboptimal or never get to a solution. So I think one of the hallmarks that actually has helped Coinbase be successful is one of our culture tenets around efficient execution. And the way that efficient execution plays out with this rapid model is, yeah, you want to get inputs, but if you're the DRI, if you're the directly responsible individual for this, you're ultimately going to use those inputs, but you're going to be expected to make a timely decision and and to make a, a decision that you have conviction in. Now, the other part of that is, you know, sometimes people are going to make incorrect decisions. And so we also want to have uh, a framework. And we often in our rapids have clear, when would we revisit this decision? What might happen so that we would actually revisit this and say, it's not going the way we thought, or we got additional inputs. Let's make another change. So another, I think, hallmark of Coinbase, which I see of as a strength is just because we've made one decision and we're heading down a path with that. If it becomes apparent as we get additional data, that that was the incorrect decision, we're willing to revisit that and go in a new direction. So there's also less of a permanency that I've seen in other places where, you know, at times in other parts of my career, we've made decisions and then we said, well, that's a decision we made. We followed it for two or three years, even though a year and a half in, we were like, yeah, it's not going so well, but oh my God, it was a decision we made. We have to stick with it kind of thing. I think, I think Coinbase has done a great job of trying to find the right equilibrium between speed to decision and also the ability at the right with the right data p- inputs to revisit, so that people can feel free to make decisions and and do so in a timely manner.
1: That's so that's so helpful. And what I love is is you, you're saying people can feel free to make the decision because it's not carved in stone forever. And that is freeing. Our mission is to set people free to do great work. And the process of setting people free comes through these frameworks actually and comes through the ability to change your decision over time. One of the things I read and this was an older post from you, but it said we work to build programs for the 90%, not the 100%. And that was freeing to me to read that because I think often in our role, no matter what size our employee base is from 100 to 1,000 to 4000, we want to please everyone and make it 100% fit and it's just not possible.
2: Yeah. And I tell you, I, look, I think about that for, you know, for your listeners that are in the HR space or, or you know, chief people officers or heads of HR, or even people that are, you know, running companies. I, I do think that one of my personal views is that I, I think people have tried to, there, there, there's been a culture where, you know, a pretty, you do podcasts, you do best practice, you do this. And, and one of the things that I think I see people trying to do is, is be, be good enough for everyone, you know, try to, try to please everybody. And I think that's like mission impossible. So, so I I like the idea that we're a hetero, you know, we're a different company. Like we're that, that there's a heterogeneous marketplace that we've taken a stance on the way that you know how we think about our culture, how we think about our delivery, how we think about our work pace, how we think about our compensation models. And I like the idea that it's very clear to people. And I like the idea that for some people they're really going to love it. And for other people, they're going to say, gee, that's not for me. And I like that clarity. We talk about that in terms of like bat signals, right? Like imagine, you know, the the thing up in the sky and like, and, and it's like, look, we're okay if the signal's not right for people. It's not that we want to intentionally not have it be right, but we're not trying to be everything to everyone. We're trying to be our best selves. We're trying to provide people that information so that they can opt in full knowing what, who and what we are and what we aren't. And that hopefully if they do opt in, they're going to be really excited about what they got into and have a great career. And, and we never want to twist anyone's arm over the finish line or give them a picture of something that they're not going to be. And so I encourage everyone, I, whenever I talk to people about this, I'm like, be comfortable in your own skin, be who you are. The, you know, people will, the right people will choose you. Some won't. That's going to be okay. They'll go to other places that have great careers and, and that's fine. And I, and I think that's been another success point for us.
1: I, I totally agree with you, and as you think about employee experience, when you're being that targeted and specific to say you'll be attracted here with the bat signal, it actually rise, raises the waterline on employee experience to the people that choose you. You're not trying to get everybody to be forced into being that 100%. You do it from the start, which I think actually makes for a more unique and succinct employee experience because they come there knowing what they're going to get, and they depend on you to deliver that, not something else.
2: That's That's right. That's really what we're aiming for. And that's why you see, again, maybe something else I would share. We're, you know, sometimes people ask me, why why are you so transparent? Why do you post these blogs? Why do you put these things out there? Sometimes you're getting backlash for them. And it's literally for what you're saying, Anita. we, We want people to know in every way possible who we are and what we're about and how we're trying to run this company. We want them to have all that information so that they can opt in and make the best decision for themselves. And then that ultimately ends up being the best decision for the company. And that translates into being the best decision for um, for our end users
1: you know, as a practitioner, LJ, I always appreciate it. You're first to post on really being mission focused in this new area. You're first to post on remote work and then having the week weeks off that you're doing. And it's awesome. And I appreciate you sharing your learnings as you go through all of it. What are some things that have come out, you know, remote work now seems like old news for everybody at Coinbase. How, how has that played out? What have you learned from it?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, so look, I think to have the remote work conversation, it's instructive to just put a little framework around it. So so one thing that's important to note is when I joined Coinbase, you could I could not have joined a company that was more in-person in nature. Um, oh, at really? the time, yeah, at the time I joined, I was living in Chicago, company was headquartered in San Francisco. I commuted, I left Monday morning at 5 a.m., flew to San Francisco, I stayed there. Until Friday afternoon, I took the very last flight that wasn't a red-eye home to spend the weekend with my family. I did that for the entire first year I was there. The company was an in-person company. Now, we, like everyone, um, you know, as, as, as COVID began to take hold, we actually de-escalated kind of early. We were, I think, fortunate to be ahead of that. Um, but as COVID took hold, you know, we went remote, as I think almost everyone did at that point. What we saw when we went remote is that, in my opinion, we had maybe unintentionally, I think, tuned the company to be highly effective in a remote world. And I think this is a you know totally my personal opinion. I don't think it's Coinbase's company view, but I think that Brian, I think one of the things that Brian, our, our CEO did is, in, in, my, in my estimation, is he tuned the company, even in an in-person world, to level the playing field for introverts and extroverts. And so with things like problem proposed solutions and rapids and the way we ran meetings um, and our expectations around having pre-reads and commenting in docs and the idea of one person, one device, all of these things were at some point tuned to level the playing field so that it wasn't just the loudest or most gregarious voice in the room when we were in person, it was the person who had the best idea could contribute equally. Well, when we went remote, that ended up meaning we were actually working asynchronously incredibly well. And then the thing we saw is, wait a minute, you know we have this, another, I talked about efficient execution being one of our culture tenants. The other one, in fact, that we just talked to the company on a refresh about today in a town hall is top talent in every seat. Really, really, I mean, it's the number one operating priority for us, right? We wanna have top talent in every job. Well, I think one of the things we realized is look, if we're really honest with ourselves, it's hard to truly have top talent if you're gonna define top talent as the people willing to commute to downtown San Francisco on a daily basis. And so then when we moved remote and we knew that the company was functioning well, we were still achieving all our OKRs, we were growing like crazy, and we were like, wait a minute, and this is by the way only 60 days in uh, probably, we were like, wait, now we have better access to talent too if we go remote, let's make that happen and so as a company we, you know we jumped early into the idea that we're not going to go back we're going to be remote first now we were very clear in our and from day 1 and have continued to be very clear that remote first was not hybrid right so it was not this idea of being in the office 3 days, you know but have mondays and fridays work at home because our worry there was you know the thing the way we phrase this is like we want your progression here to be about your skill sets and your impact to the company not your geography and if at the end of the day you still get you know uh, uh either you know an implicit or x ex, or, or extrinsic or i'm sorry a very implicit sort of um, upside by being in more then then you know you're not really going to be remote and so we were really committed early on so look I think we've been all in on remote for a long period of time. I think the truth of the matter is we're still on a journey to make remote first a success. I think anybody that tells you they've totally nailed this, save the companies that maybe were doing it even pre-COVID, I would be a little skeptical on, for a couple of reasons. One, I think you know people are just getting the opportunity now over the last several months to really go back. So we have to prove that being in a remote model is, better than being in a hybrid or an in-office model. And then I think we're still, you know, we're still on a journey of like, how do we get people together on some cadence so that they do have in-person interactions? Because we're also not saying we're a virtual company. We're not saying, hey, you're never gonna interact with your, with your peers or your coworkers. We are saying, hey, we want you to get together once a quarter on some regular basis. And so a big effort for me and my team right now is how do we really bring that alive on a regular basis? And we've struggled with this because you had a world of like, well, we can't get together. Oh wait, now the COVID's receded a little bit. There's this small window, let's all race to get together. Oh wait, now it's coming back for another wave. We can't get together. Um, Oh wait, now we're heading into a crypto winter. We have to be a little more thoughtful about how we spend our money. Oh, should we get together? And so we're trying to get to the right equilibrium here. It's a journey for us to be certain. But the commitment we've made to our people is we're, you know, we're going to be on this journey. We're going to, we're going to be a remote-first company. And I think it's really unlocked um, a, a, an incredible talent uh, population for us.
1: It has unlocked an incredible talent population for all of us. We've all benefited from it, and it's been awesome. We just have been doing some research that was – we had a guest speaker come in and talk about that when you're on Zoom, your body can't actually release dopamine in creating connection. Right. Like you don't get that same level of neurotransmitted connection physiologically on Zoom that you get in person. And if that is an indicator of building trust, how do we say, okay, we're focused on being remote and we know we want to build trust in relationships? And so I think that's the part that we're all grappling with, because I agree with you, like hybrid gets real messy, yet it seems to be what we're doing anyway, whether we admit it or not. And then, you know, none of us really want to be virtual. So it definitely is evolutionary here as we go through these times without giving your, your base whiplash.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I just had a conversation this week. Brian has been very clear with with me and, and our team and the executive team that y- y- we've got to solve the, uh, the, the, the conundrum of making sure that people get regular interactions even as they've been dispersed for the very reason you just said. We've got to make sure that we continue to build trust between teams, between senior leaders and managers and individual contributors, um, between cross-functional partners. If we don't build trust, we won't be as effective as a company. So to me, the number one thing we're trying to focus on in these in-person interactions is trust-building moments, because it is harder to do virtually for certain. and, and so I, I don't, you know, we're on the journey. We'll probably actually even maybe do another post uh, in the coming months around like the journey that we're on and how we're trying to solve it. It's certainly not something we've solved, but I'll tell you that probably it's going to end up looking like, you know, we're going to almost build sort of like an in-house travel agency slash employee experience function that like really is focused on making sure our people are getting together and and have clear goals on the percentage of people getting together on a regular
1: basis. That's so interesting because as I look at like if I just google search Coinbase, trust is in your tagline. Yep. And so it is such a great tie to your customer experience. Are you seeing those two come together? Yeah,
2: I mean I think that's the that's that's actually at the foundation of it, right? So you want to be the trusted on ramp in crypto you got to make sure you have trust inside the organization as well and i do and as i said i think trust is one of those things that is the hardest to build as you know as it sounds like your your guest speaker said um in a totally remote world and i think we've seen when we've brought people together like spikes in trust right you see it get built Then you see yourselves go away. And if you don't get back together, you start to see the road a little bit. So that's why we're so focused on this cadence, right, of how do we build this as a repeatable way that we work? It's just second nature. um, And that's what we have to really unlock going forward.
1: It makes me totally curious, as we've entered a crypto winner, how does that affect trust? You all being on the forefront of it probably saw it coming. And so has it, has that been a part of it too, is helping people understand there's just cycles economically. You know, if we even think about the broader economic cycle we're in, a lot of our team members have never been through a downturn, crypto or otherwise. And is that eroding trust in the employees? No, I mean, look,
2: I, I think one thing that's important for us to realize is, I, look, I think in general we have, I, I do want to say like very strong trust across the organization. I think maybe a better way of even thinking of it, as I hear as you, you know, asked me about this is like are we getting the connections in person that sort of reaffirm the trust in each other? I do think the question that you're that you're sort of you know laying out there is like hey there's a there's an interesting thing going on for us so' we're, we're going through a crypto winner as an industry and as a company we've been through crypto winners before so you know on one level we actually have a lot of confidence, a lot of background in having been through this before. And, and I think there's trust that in the organization and amongst each other that we, we know what that looks like and we know how to navigate that. The very interesting thing for us in our employee population is this is really the first crypto winter where we're also going through sort of a broader economic challenge. I don't know, arguably a recession or not depends, I guess, on how people are defining it, but certainly some, some broader macro headwinds. I do think that's an interesting thing for us to deal with as employee experience professionals. Because look, the vast majority of the population at Coinbase, and I suspect many companies, many tech companies, certainly in many companies broadly, have probably never worked through a downturn, right? So, you know, if you graduated from 2009 or 2010 onward, you've had a great 10, 12 year run of strong sort of economic environment and, and employment environment. And so I do think um, one of the challenges we have as practitioners right now is how do we help people understand what's happening and how to navigate that and feel confident about their careers through a period that looks a little different than historically, probably other periods they've had. And so that is an area of focus for us as a team.
1: What I love that you said there, LJ, is something that we've also doubled down on, and I've encouraged our peers to do it as well, is that you have an opportunity at this time to remind everybody you've been through a crypto winter before, and you're going to provide stability through it. Right. And so we did messaging both to our customer base and to our team member base to say, hey, this isn't our first rodeo. We've been here before. You can count on us to be stable and to get through it. And I think that a message has to come through to tie the employee experience, especially those that our customer are facing, to say you can depend on us. We're still here. We're still trustworthy. And we're going to be here on the other side of it. And it's just a, a, a it's like a piece I want to see conviction in from more organizations.
2: Yeah. So I think there's two aspects to that for me. So, so at the enterprise level, you know, we've recently done a campaign that's like a long live crypto, right? So it's sort of, it, it was this great little campaign that was, that was like, Hey, all the times that people said the winter, this winter was going to be the last winter. And, you know, you sort of look back and you're like, Oh, well, gee, that's starting to lose. Uh, it sort of started hard to predict that this winter is really going to be that bad again, because you can see that the trend line is one where, you know, adoption continues and, and, you know, we're, the industry is going to be fine and we're going to be fine and and, and we're going to get through this and come out stronger on the other side. I think there's an interesting individual thing that people are going through career wise. And, and I'll tell you what we're really trying to focus on here is this idea of like, you know, can we make sure that we're connecting business need with moments of individual development for people? So sure, maybe in a crypto winter, we're not growing headcount at quite the rate we would have in a, you know, in a sort of hyper growth moment. But that doesn't mean for the people who are part of this right now that we can't really give them incredible career growth um, by really making sure that as moments of opportunity happen in the business, we understand where their career aspirations are and we're connecting them to that. And I think that, you know, your listeners and users, that's one of the things I think as you're as you're going through a downturn, I think that it requires managers and leaders to be really intentional. And advocates for their people in those moments to think about how do you take advantage of business need and connect it with career development. Um, And I'll just say personally, when I, you know, and and the reason I speak sort of with that with a strong sense of conviction is both, you know, I've been around long enough now um, that I've been through two downturns, right? So I went through the, the 2001 bubble burst and the 2008 sort of financial crisis. And I would say that my career accelerated coming out of both of those, but it accelerated coming out of both of those because I was able to really do some great work in the middle of the downturn that allowed me to sort of accelerate. So I really want for Coinbase for our for our people to be able to experience this time as one where they're advancing their skill sets in a way where it's going to be an accelerant for them as we move through this winter and back into sort of a, a growth mode again.
1: That is the holy grail of employee experience is development. Everybody wants that, right? They they leave our current organizations and go to other organizations because they get promoted or they get developed. And LDI, I just, I totally agree with you. We're actually doing an HR virtual summit for our whole base coming up here. And this is my topic is how do you use business need to promote individual growth at all times? Because I don't know about you. There's no course I can take that helps me learn what I've learned. It's part of the reason why I wanted to be a practitioner at this time. Because it teaches us so much every time we go through it. And you and I being 29, I mean, we just barely missed the last downturn.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but that was, I agree with you, my career also accelerated through that time. And I learned so much that's come with me in creating new toolkits for everywhere I've ever been because every downturn is different and everyone can teach and learn through the circumstance of it.
2: Yeah. And I'll tell you, the, the, you know, to combine the last two topics we talked about, just something that rings for me is like one of the things that... That, that I'm spending time thinking about and trying to try to work on for us as a company is like, how do we help people early in career develop in a world where we're remote? Right. Cause I'll, I'll be the first to say like, you know, my development was accelerated because I was sitting in a bullpen with people where I was able to hear them doing the same things that I was being asked to do. And in a remote world, that's undoubtedly harder. And I, and I, and I think that's something we've got to solve for. So one of the things that we're trying to work on as a, as, a, as leaders is like, how can we do more asynchronous development? How can we videotape our, or, or, you know, can, can we zoom tape ourselves on, um, you know, key lessons that we've learned and share those for people to, to see and hear from, how can we do more one-off team meetings or individual meetings with people? How are we really intentional about creating moments where people get that same development in a remote world? And so I think, you know, for your leaders that are listening to this, I think that's an area they really need to focus on for people that are thinking about how do they navigate their careers in a remote environment. My advice would be look for a company and an environment where people are thinking about how do you solve for this kind of complex scenario of remote, maybe it's hybrid, but certainly remote and and still keep high, career growth going when you're early in career and you need to have that kind of mentorship opportunity
1: completely, and and we can't depend on it being in person. We've got to create a different path. So I've got to ask just because you brought it up, but how does this play back into your new strategy on top talent? How does it tie together with what you want to achieve there?
2: Well, I think, look, for us, you know, when we think about top talent, that's across the entire spectrum from a career perspective. That's early in career talent. That's people sort of in mid-career. It's certainly people in sort of senior leadership roles. We want to have in each of those areas, we we're certainly going to pursue top talent, right? Um, for us, we have to think about how we segment the experience in a way that helps us retain that talent. And um, and and again, I think there's a couple of hallmarks for us there, right? One is we want to be really transparent to them about who we are and what we are. Um, two is we do want to have a strong culture around co- coaching and development for people. Um, and then you know, three, I would say is for us. We've really made a cornerstone of our top talent philosophy, a really transparent pay for performance program. So when people come into our organization, we're very clear with them that if they have outsized impact in the organization, they are truly going to see differentiated rewards. That in itself is another signal. Some people are really excited about that and they opt in that those are the right people for us. Some people are a little concerned about that level of differentiation or what that means. And, and again, that's okay for us. So I think that's one of the key signals we've used to sort of help um, make sure that we differentiate how we think about top talent.
1: That's a great one. The paper performance is a must-have. What are you seeing around coaching and development? Is that a new area of focus or something you're looking to build on? Yeah.
2: Um, it's not so much a new area of focus in coaching and development. It's one one thing that I think about is like, look, if we're, if we're just, if we're all really honest with ourselves, you know, as practitioners in this, we all want to talk about coaching and development. We're all, you know, we all love to say how important it is. We all love to say it's a big priority. Truth is when you're growing like crazy, you know, when you're doubling the company or something like that, it's hard. Just, you know, I mean, I'd be the first, it's hard to say, Oh, I'm going to carve out, part of my one-to-one with you to have a coaching and development moment, right? I mean, that that I, I have great empathy for managers and leaders because I know it's hard for me. I think one of the things we can do is use these moments where we're maybe not at the same frenetic growth pace. We've just gotten some time back because we're not hiring at the same rate we were as a company, right? So there was a lot of time going into interviewing. Can we just repurpose a fraction of that time into coaching and development for people? The, the, there's two things that I focus on there when I talk to people about it. It's less about any specific framework. It's less about, Oh my God, there's one Holy grail of how to do this. Well, I would say it's about intentionality and it's about intentionality for both parties. So I think that individuals have to advocate for themselves. They have to have some clarity in what they want to do. They need to meet their managers halfway. And then we need managers to be focused on it and to be comfortable around. How do you coach and develop we do try to give our managers tools around how to develop that skill. And, you know, I have this analogy I use all the time with people, I'll share it with you. And then, you know, I'm like, other than, than being in this role, I spend most of my whatever free time I have playing tennis. And 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 one of the things I say to people is, you know, you hear, are you a feedback culture or are you a coaching and development coach culture? And to me, you know, Feedback is my coach standing on the other side of the baseline yelling at me that I'm not following through in the right way on my forehand. They're giving me feedback. They're like, hey, you need to swing through faster. You need to follow follow through and finish over your shoulder. That's feedback. That's one useful tool. Another is when they come around the net and they literally move my arm in the right swing path. And then maybe they take two steps back and they start dropping balls in front of me and they're making sure I'm doing it and they're taking a chance that they're gonna get hit. And so a lot of what I talk to people about is like, are you coming around the net? Are you really getting in the game? Are you really showing people how to do it? Or are you just yelling from the other side of the court? Hey, this is what you should be doing. And are you willing as a leader to maybe get hit by a ball? Cause that's how much you care about making someone successful. You know, I'm fortunate that I, you know I'll pay for a coach to get hit by a ball in tennis In, 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 you know, when you're working in the workplace, you want to have a manager. That's what I would tell someone, you know, when I, when I see people think about changing jobs or working for people, my question is, do you have someone who's really going to like stand there and move your arm for you? And are they willing to drop, feed some balls in front of you and take some hits to make you a better at your role? And if the answer to that is yes, then I think you've got a great coach, coach, coach and coachee relationship. And you probably have somebody you really want to work with for a while.
1: I'm going to borrow that analogy. That's a really good one. And it sounds like it ties right in though to using the work, the business case to develop team members. That's when I love giving coaching and development is in the work. It's in the process. It's not outside of the work. So it's like, if you want to take on a new project, I'll work through it with you and using your piece, problem, purpose, solution, let's go do and solve it together, create a project where you can learn, I'll stand around the net with you in it versus having you go take a course and come back and we talk about
2: Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I mean, look, again, I, I, one trick I would share, you know, for for your listeners that I think about is, you know, I, I often talk to people about like, what's their end goal? Like, where, where, where do they see themselves wanting to get to? And then- you know, let's talk about what are the aspects of that job. And then let's do an analysis of where you would be considered ready for that job and where you wouldn't. And let's, let's actively work on closing the gap. And, you know, what I find is, you know, if you embed that in the work of the company, you know, I, I feel like if the worst thing that happens is we end up being a place where we build people who can achieve their dreams, whether, whether those roles are always available in Coinbase or not. And I think nine times out of 10, we'll be able to offer them. But if the worst thing that happens is that we're able to, through the nature of our work, develop people in a way that allows them to hit their, their aspirations, then we're never going to have a problem attracting great talent because people are going to know they can come here and work in an environment where people are standing for them and helping them be successful over the long haul and achieve their aspirations.
1: Well said, well said. Thank you, LJ. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your learnings. We're so grateful and keep putting those posts out there so we can see how it continues to evolve on the journey at Coinbase. Super grateful.
2: Well, it's always great to spend time with you. Thanks for having me. And um, yeah, I'm sure we'll keep posting a little here and there. So um, I'll let you know when I send them out.
0: Looking for ways to combat the great resignation and keep your very best people? Check out the 2022 Guide to Retention. You'll discover just how hard it is for organizations to retain employees in 2022, why people leave and learn what you can do to boost retention and minimize turnover in your organization. Find this guide and many more helpful resources at bamboohr.com resources and discover more ways you can do great work. That's bamboohr.com forward slash resources. You've been listening to The Era. Stay connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show. Your feedback helps us make content that's valuable to you and your work. Thanks for listening. Until next time.